audio. Hello again, and welcome to this edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me today is Dr. Pial Hope, who is a general surgeon specializing in metabolic and bariatric surgery. That's correct. Right. Well, welcome to the show, Doctor. Good to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, really I'm. So, I'm so happy you came up to talk about this because um, it's it's robotics, and I have been so excited over the past few episodes that we have been discussing this this technology that's come into Rapid City. Um, that I think people are very interested in, um, might be a little apprehensive about as well. So I'm glad you're here to kind of explain this a little bit. Um, what brought you here, though, doctor? Uh, I was looking at your bio online, uh, Michigan, Texas. You just told me you're born and raised in, in Los Angeles. That's right. Yeah. So how did that journey lead you out here? Sure. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting story. Um, when I was in general surgical residency training in um, southeast Michigan in the Detroit metropolitan area, uh, one of my co-residents, uh, Dr. Brianna Conant, she actually was recruited to Monument Health. Her mom's side of the family is from South Dakota uh, and or actually Deadwood area. And she wanted. She was looking at a job out here, so she signed uh, as a fourth-year resident, and I was one year ahead of her. So as a fifth-year, she couldn't stop uh, talking about the place. She really, really um, sold it to me, and her passion and her love for for the job it seemed uh, was infectious. So I, I said, okay, I'll check it out, and I came here, interviewed, and I also fell in love with uh, Monument Health and the city of Rapid City, um, and the rest kind of is history. And I came here really because Brianna. Uh, or Dr. Conant essentially said, this is a great place. You have to check it out. Did she talk to you about the winters, though? She did, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I did my medical school in Erie, Pennsylvania, where oh, it's okay. one of the snowy cities in, yeah. in America. I did, you know, residency in Michigan. In Michigan. And, so you've, had, you've yeah. had the tastes of it. Sure, I yeah. mean, Los Angeles, Texas, obviously, that's a, that's a, a, a shock. Yeah. yeah, coming out here for sure. Yeah. The transition from L.A. to, to Erie, Pennsylvania, that was... <laughs> A big that one. Was, yeah, that was a big one. <laughs> well, that's all the way across the country, too. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. the, the shock of all of it, really. Yeah. So what um, then what led you into to uh, metabolic and, and bariatrics and, and, and what you do now then? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to be a surgeon when I was in medical school. And I um, so I pursued general surgery for that reason. Um, where weight care and obesity medicine and metabolic and bariatric surgery kind of really became a passion of mine was um, on the bariatric surgery service uh, as a resident as well as as a medical student doing surgical rotations, seeing how um, single interventions such as weight loss surgery can affect so many facets of someone's health um, and, and really alleviate, mitigate, or even resolve many of their weight-related problems. Uh, and I thought that was quite, um, that was miraculous almost in a lot of ways. Um, you had patients with so many, so many issues that were lifestyle limiting. Um, and the quality of life was, was a lot less than it could have been. Then you intervene or you do this procedure or you put someone on medications and to see how things turn around and to see how well they do thereafter, it was it was really inspiring to me. So it was a, it was it was it was satisfaction for you then. I mean, there there was a, just a good feeling when it's all done to see that that outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, patients coming in um, wheelchair bound, not being able to 
really um, participate in many of the activities of daily living uh, year after, say, a weight loss surgery, uh, walking into the clinic. So, right. I mean, that's kind of, it's not just improving life expectancy, but also the quality of life that one can have. Well, and I think, too, a lot of people get the perception for people that have the issues that you deal with all the time is like, well, why don't they just eat less or why don't they just exercise more? Because that's something that they, well, sure, of course, we all understand that. Sure. But there's also mitigating circumstances as well that I think you see that, uh, that uh, you know, like I said, it kind of leads to that satisfaction thing when you can help these people out. Certainly. And I think you really um, hit the nail on the head there. And that is to say, for 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 as long as I can, you know, uh, recall, uh, even for me personally, it was always those two main things was, uh, you know, eat less, move more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's absolutely true. I, you can't deny that there's uh, important environmental things you can do right. um, that would help with weight care. But it, it is a little tone deaf sometimes to say that to patients that come in um, time and time again seeking help and sometimes getting to the point where they're frustrated or feeling like they're let down by the healthcare community because it's not really the nuanced view that we should have as healthcare mm-hmm. providers about obesity, which is a, a chronic, complex disease process, um, only uh, a little bit of which now we're understanding better and better. But, uh, and I think you know, it's it's now finally with the advent of some of the newer medications, um, as well as some of the technologies we have available to us, for example, the robotics platform, mm-hmm. uh, the Da Vinci surgical platform, um, that awareness is being, uh, you know, built and people are seeking out and getting the help that they need. Right. So um, absolutely. And that's a big, that's a real passion of mine is access to care and raising awareness and destigmatizing obesity, which is just like any other chronic disease, can be can be controlled or, or even cured right. with the right kinds of tools. Okay. Well, you brought up the Da Vinci uh, XI. I realized it was not eleven when I was researching this right, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love to to get on and watch videos of again, not the procedure itself because <laughs> I can't handle that. Sure. Uh, but I do like the the animated. Um, they have a lot of great videos you, you can watch on this. Um, my 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 first initial surprise when I saw the machine was its size. Sure. It kind of struck me as much larger than I would expect. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit here as we talk about this some. Uh, when you started uh, in, in, in the process uh, of, of becoming a surgeon in this area, what technologies were available to you when you started? Sure. Yeah. The DaVinci robot actually um, it's, it's been, been there. around for for more more than 20 years. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. Um, So, you know, robotics isn't necessarily a new thing. Right. Uh, However, uh, the technology's really progressed uh, quite a bit since its nascency or the early (laughs) protocol period, you know, (laughs) the um, prototypical periods. Um, So, yes, when I started my general surgical residency training, we had the Da Vinci robotic system. Not every residency necessarily at that time had it, sure. but we were, you know, we were lucky enough that we had um, at least, I think we had two at the main hospital and we had one at the smaller community hospital. So, so it's evolved. Um, I it's, mean, it's it's even in that twenty year period, it's changed quite a bit. It's changed quite a bit. The XI has been a game changer, even though it's almost ten years old now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we had that, but we did definitely do more. 
uh, straight stick laparoscopic surgery. When I say straight stick, I mean just you know uh, how using instruments that you're you're controlling directly by using your hands, right? Um, versus the robotic platform or Da Vinci XI system, where you're in a console, you're still 100% in control of the operation. No part of it is automated, but um, you're not necessarily physically in proximity to the to the patient as much um you're more at the console which is in the same room and i think that's a question that a lot of people have when they hear robotics in in medicine and surgery is like sure. well where's the doctor and and so far every doctor we've talked to about this has said well i'm right there right. i'm the one that's running the equipment right certainly yeah <laughs> yeah it, it facilitates the operation it doesn't uh, do the operation um the surgeon is still performing every every um, aspect of the operation, starting with initially docking the robot, putting the ports in to be able to even connect the robotic system to the patient, and then breaking scrub and, and doing the operation. So what kind of, I mean, what kind of training then do you go through as a doctor? Since you've had it in your practice the entire time you've been a part of it. Sure. Um, I'm assuming you've you've either assisted or actually done surgeries the 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 the, the old way, like sure. put in quotes, like you've said. Yeah. Um, so uh, as you train on that, is is how, how does that work for you? Certainly, yes. Um, so you know, many people have been surgeons out in communities and and various centers um, well before the robotic system really took off as a. Um, viable option for for patients as a modality for surgery. Um, And the way, there's multiple ways in which to become adept at using the system. One is you you train on it as a resident. um, And of course, most residencies nowadays will have experience, robotics experience. Yeah. Um, If not almost, if not all, I'd be surprised if there are a few that didn't have any robotic experience. Um, beyond that, you have fellowships, which are after completing your surgical residency. There are fellowships that basically focus on minimally invasive surgery. So it's um, things that you would you traditionally would do either laparoscopically, straight stick laparoscopically, or um, open, but focusing on using the robotic platform or other minimally invasive mm-hmm. techniques. Um, and uh, so that's fellowship training for you. Beyond that, there are courses and um, labs that are sponsored by industry, specifically for the Da Vinci XI by Intuitive Surgical, where you go, you get uh, lectured, or you have lectures by um, kind of master surgeons who are who are known to be uh, very adept at the robot, and they teach you how to essentially uh, the fundamentals of the robotic system, and there are progressive or um, higher level courses that you can take to master master using that platform the most important thing to understand is that the while the modality has changed so you could laparoscopic surgery for example robotic surgery or open surgery all of which are you know integral tools on a surgeon's toolkit um, the principles of surgery stay the same so as long as um, you know you're a good surgeon or you understand the principles of surgery the, the tools that you use could change, and you can very easily adapt new technologies. Um, so that's the most important thing, is a good foundational understanding of surgical principles. So really quick, explain, um, because I want to talk about the advantages of the robot. Sure. But explain just what a bariatric surgery is. Sure, yeah. It's important to, um, you know, sometimes we'll say bariatric surgery, sometimes we say um, weight loss surgery. Um, oh, sure. At its core, it's, you know, metabolic and bariatric surgery. It's, it's metabolic surgery. What does that mean? Well, it's 
kind of like think of it as diabetes surgery or high blood pressure surgery or, you know, uh, high cholesterol surgery, things you would do to improve your medical problems that are due to uh, certain underlying metabolism issues or derangements. Um, so what is a bariatric surgery or a weight loss surgery? There's, there's different kinds you could do. And, um, uh, you know, the primary goal or objective is weight reduction. Um, however, that doesn't have to be a patient's primary goal or your primary goal. Your goal could be that I want less pain when I move or I would like to be, I, I would like to get off my insulin and I feel like my diabetes is just getting more and more difficult to control. Um, or I hate the CPAP machine I have to wear all the time and I wish there were a way for my sleep apnea to be cured. Um, so goals could be different and it's very individualized what your values are and what, mm -hmm. you, what you would like to achieve. But um, all of those things happen due to a reduction in weight. Um, and so what is a bariatric surgery or what does a bariatric surgeon do? Well, uh, many things, but at its core, it's doing operations to reduce your weight, which has so many or innumerable downstream effects that are positive right. for patients, including you know, decreasing mechanical shear stresses across joints, so less maybe less pain with movements um, and improving your metabolic profile, such as your, um, your sugar, your uh, diabetes, if you have that, or cholesterol problems, triglyceride yeah. problems, et cetera. So, so then how, how once they've, well, let's, let's talk about this before we get into the, the, the robot a little bit more. What is a, who is a good candidate for uh, this type of surgery then? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so there, there are certain criteria that insurance companies, of course, have, and um, and those those criteria were actually um, modified a bit, at least as far as our society is concerned, the American Society of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgeons. Um, I'll just kind of briefly go over the gener the generic uh, yeah. category. So you have to have the disease of obesity. So that means um, a quick and dirty way, basically that has been used mainly because of insurance uh, companies as the BMI, mm -hmm. which is um, body mass index. It's just a calculation you get from someone's height and weight. And it um, tells you based on the number, you know, various, various categories of obesity. So there's class one, class two, and class three. So if you have a BMI that's uh, between 35 and 40, um, you'd be a good candidate for a bariatric surgery insurance companies require you to have one weight-related medical problem in order to qualify. So you may have insurance that has benefits for bariatric procedures, but um, you may not qualify to use those benefits if you don't have a weight-related problem in addition to a BMI of 35 or higher. You know, And I have my opinions about that. I sure. think it's uh, very restrictive um, because I think many people could benefit from, from a bariatric procedure or weight loss surgery. Mm -hmm that may or may not have a comorbidity or a medical problem related to their weight. Um, and that's specific, too. There's some that they expect to see. Um, and even though you might have a medical problem that's certainly due to weight, it might not be the one that qualifies qualify right. for that company. So that's, that's one way to qualify. The other way is if your BMI is 40 or greater, so it's considered class 3 obesity or greater, and you have benefits through insurance, then you should qualify, you would qualify for bariatric surgery. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you have a weight-related problem or not. At that point, most people 
the vast majority of people will have a, me- a weight-related medical problem. Mm-hmm. But so it's a BMI of 40 or higher, or a BMI of 35 and between 35 and 40, um, with uh, a medical problem that's due to your weight. Okay, so somebody has qualified. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, they've come to you, and you said yes, we we can do this procedure for sure. So they, they, they get wheeled into the room, mm-hmm. and this is when I want to go to the size of this robot. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I, yeah. it, you know, just coming from a, of, a, of a background of growing up as a child, watching science fiction and, and, and hoping that one day these things are going to exist. Sure. And now we kind of live in that age when they do. I get super excited to, to, to see how this equipment works. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the patient lays down, uh, and you're getting them prepped and ready to go. And then when does the robot come in, doctor? <laughs> sure, absolutely. So, I mean, after going through the usual uh, procedures, such as doing a surgical timeout and yeah. um, having already have the abdomen prepped and draped in the case of abdominal surgery, um, we have to gain access into the belly. So there has to be a way to first get into the abdominal cavity. Um, so that's done by the surgeon. There's various methods to do that. Once you're in there um, to do laparoscopic surgery, or minimally invasive surgery, you have to blow the abdominal cavity up with carbon dioxide gas. And that's just to create a nice working space so you can manipulate the instruments inside the abdomen. Otherwise, the abdominal wall is collapsed against the organs and there's not really any space to work. So first step is to just gain access to the abdomen um, and we say insufflate or blow up with carbon dioxide gas to create a working space. Next, you put in the various trocars, and it depends on the procedure you're doing. It could be uh, you know, anywhere between four to five to six trocars that you need. Now, what are those? Those are just these, uh, essentially, they are these ports or oh, hollow, okay. yep. hollow um, uh, they're like these long tubular things that um, essentially are different sized, and you, you would have them go through the abdominal wall, and they serve as an anchor for your instruments to be able to go in and out of the abdominal wall. They're like little tunnels, essentially. Okay. Um, so you put, on, you put in your ports, mm-hmm. and then once the ports are in the abdomen, use a camera the whole time to watch things go in and out, um, and you dock the robot, meaning you attach the robot. So this is arms. when the robot comes in the robot at this com- point. That's right. Okay. That's when the robot comes in, and you use the robotic arms to attach to these trocars or these ports you placed. Once everything's attached, um, you can target the system. You 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 find the location where you want to work. You point the camera there, and you have to basically calibrate or target the system to uh, essentially move in a way and optimize the positioning and placement to work in that space. So um, after that, your robot's docked. Your instruments are put into the patient through the system, and you the surgeon then breaks scrub, sits at the console, and starts doing the operation using the robot. I've watched in the video of where the doctor's fingers using that robot too and how how it, it it's like i don't really know how to describe how would you best describe where your hands go on that thing sure it's um you know it's it, it, there's these small um there's these velcro straps okay. uh, for your fingers you put in your fingers and um it allows for various degrees of motion and what you can do is when you twist your hand or rotate your hand so too will the robotic arm inside the patient's abdomen rotate in a similar way. Um, it doesn't have exactly the, the same degrees of freedom as a human hand would, but it's, um, it's, quite, it's, quite, ex- it's quite good. Right. And you can also readjust and 
re-rotate versus, you know, once you reach the extent of your rotation on your hand, um, that's it. You can't rotate anymore, but then you can basically clutch and go back and rotate even further that way. So you can do 360. Um, you can move left and right, up and down. It's uh, quite, it's phenomenal how much it facilitates an operation that's laparoscopic, whereas the degrees of freedom are sometimes limited when you do the traditional straight-stake laparoscopic surgery. Um, that isn't to say there's any uh, worse outcomes with right. straight-stake laparoscopic oh, of surgery. Um, and, it, you know, outcomes will often, well, essentially it hasn't been demonstrated that they're necessarily better or worse. It's just a different way to, to do the operation that, you know, greatly facilitates ergonomics for the surgeon, as well as there's some discussion about um, uh, pain being less or discomfort being less after performing the operation from a robotic using a robotic system. Well, from what I understand too, the it's 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 very minimally invasive as well it seems. It seems like uh, four or five different parts, very small, is that is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So the um, the incisions that one would have on their on their body would be usually ranging from uh, half a centimeter up to maybe a centimeter and maybe 1.2 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes we're having to make the incision bigger, not because we need it for the operation per se, but rather to take something out of the abdomen when you're doing surgery. So in the case of one of the bariatric operations where you do a sleeve or a sleeve gastrectomy surgery for the sake of um, weight loss, you have to remove 80% of someone's stomach and take it out of the abdomen through one of the incisions. Um, and some, uh, oftentimes, in fact, every time, the incision is too small in order to do that. So we actually have to increase the size of the incision just to take the stomach out. So um, in, in as much as the, the tool, it, it's, it's amazing how, how little space or how um, small incisions can yeah. be. Um, and the only time they're bigger is when we have to extract the specimen. So what, is, right. what to you is the greatest advantage of using this robot? Uh, that's a tough question. There's so many. <laughs> there, um, oh, well, that's that's good to know, though. I mean, right. that there's so many. Yeah. Um, I think definitely visualization. Uh, the high-definition camera is, oh, uh, yeah. offers some really next-generation visualization that um, that you really couldn't get before this before this technology. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, uh, when it's when you're doing laparoscopic surgery, you need an assistant or someone to hold the camera just dedicated to holding the camera. And um, and that works fine for the most part, but that's an additional person to hold a camera in a space that's already crowded mm-hmm. with two to three other people. Um, additionally, uh, as a surgeon, it's nice to have total control of the operation. Uh, I can turn the camera on the robotic system on my own by toggling to the camera and focusing on what I need to see without having to verbalize it or without having someone else having to anticipate my my next move. Um, so visualization probably is one of the best um, advantages of using the robotic system. Okay. Um, if I had to pick a few others, I would say ergonomics for the surgeon as well. Yeah, like you um, mentioned, the, the, with the, yeah, just the, the, the ability to turn. The ability to turn <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that might be a surgeon-specific benefit, but at the end of the end of the day, if your surgeon's doing multiple surgeries that day, it's it's important that they're somewhat comfortable oh, yeah, and of course. they're not feeling so fatigued <laughs> right. at the end of the day yeah. that there's a compromise of, of, <laughs> of the procedure later. Sure. It doesn't happen, but uh, it, it increases longevity in the operating room, um, and it's important where there's just not enough 
surgeons or doctors to to do things that yeah. that we can extend the life of 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 uh, of a surgeon providing a service like that would be a good thing I think how uh, how many of these do you perform like uh, in a day in a week in a month sure you're talking about robotic yeah. surgeries right um you know I've tried to go to a hundred percent robotic model okay um, so. Uh, most of my cases at this point are, are robotic that I am boarding. Um, so it depends on, you know, depends on the surgeon and their volume. Everyone's a little different, mm-hmm. but you know, you can you can probably do three to four um, pretty major robotic operations per day. Per that day that you're in the operation. Really? Yeah. Um, and just depending on other other things and efficiencies, uh, you could possibly do more. Yeah. So um, there is some. You know, when when we went from an era of primary open surgery, primarily open surgery, which is how surgery had always mm-hmm. been done traditionally. Um, when I say open, I mean just um, incisions that are large to yeah. do surgery. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's important that surgeons know how to do open surgery um, because the bailout of um, from a minimally invasive approach would be an open operation. Right. Um, so, but, you know, the, the, there was a there was some backlash when laparoscopy made it onto the scene or tried to become more mainstream. People would uh, say, no, I could do it much faster open. I don't know why you need all this technology. Um, It just makes everything take longer and it's not as safe. And so there's usually, you know, when there's disruptive technologies, Mm -hmm. there's traditionally there's always backlash until finally everyone starts adopting it and realizing its merits. Um, so we went through a little bit of that between um, with the introduction of the robot and uh, the people who are diehard laparoscopists yeah. and, you know, really believe in laparoscopic surgery. The, the most important thing to remember is it's essentially the same exact thing as laparoscopic surgery. You're still using tiny incisions, instruments, and cameras. The only difference being that now it's being controlled uh, through a console by the surgeon instead of directly by the surgeon at the bedside. Right. That's the primary difference. Um, so, you know, you could, you could additionally, um, with as, as technology improves and as the, you know, the system improves, efficiencies will improve. Yeah. And costs will go down when you have more competition um, and more, more right. products coming out that, that essentially lead to prices going down. So, you know, if you compare the the very beginnings of robotic surgery to the um, the most refined and uh, complete, um, or or the very end of laparoscopic surgery, I wouldn't say end; it's right. kind of all a continuum. But um, if you can't compare the highlight reel of laparoscopic surgery to like the nascency or the beginning of mm-hmm. robotic surgery. It's not going to pan out in favor of robotic surgery. But now, uh, with more than 10 years of the XI system being out, more and more studies are coming out how um, uh, efficient it can be, and oftentimes more efficient or faster than laparoscopic procedures. So th- the, the, probably the most important thing, though, as a patient, is it's not about how fast things can get done or you know, what's efficient or not efficient necessarily, right. uh, but rather what can, you know, how can this surgery be done as safe as possible with the best outcome possible? Yeah, that's it. It's the and, outcome for the patient. Right. You know, and they, yeah, I don't think a lot, if, if I'm laying there having this happen, I don't yeah. care how we get there. That's right. In a lot of instances, just right. get me there, right? Yep. It has to be safe and it has to be excellent <laughs> outcomes. 
and that non-inferiority you know it's it, that's there's no question there's no there's no worse outcomes necessarily mm-hmm. with the robotic system or, or vice versa it's just about doing what you know how to do best right. with a well-selected um, patient and having great outcomes. And that's that's the most important thing. Do you ever think we'll get to a day where you just sit in front of a computer and you program the entire operation in and then the robot just goes in and does it? Probably, and yeah. you grab a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, think you, about, <laughs> you think about technology and technological time uh, or the time scale for technology. You think oh, about when, right. you know, the when the turning points happen, I mean, you start with these, uh, you remember VCRs mm-hmm. or, or CD players or Walkman or AM, FM radios. Yes. Um, and even the first cell phones, how cumbersome, how big, yep. how, you know, inefficient they were. And just within, you know, 10 years, how where we are today versus 10 years ago with technology, it's fascinating. It's mind-blowing. So that's why it's really exciting to see um, the things that are, uh, the robotic system and, and the fact that other companies are trying to develop their own systems. It, ultimately, this is better for patients to have more options available to them. Right. Um, and it's only a matter of time when I'm sure one day we'll have we'll be able to program everything and you'll deploy some nanites into someone's <laughs> body and they'll fix the problem. That's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. I hope that happens as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, well, before I let you go, Doctor, um, I wanted to, uh, I believe... I, I, so far, I think you're the first doctor that we've had on this podcast that plays an instrument That's right. uh, proficiently, right? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> now, I, I had never heard of this in- instrument. And what is it called? It's called the tabla. Okay. T-A-B-L-A. All right. It's a North Indian percussion instrument, and it's a two-piece drum set. There's a smaller treble drum, and there's a larger bass drum. Um, it, they rest on the floor where you also sit um, on these circular rings. Um, they look like donut pillows. Oh, now, okay. The rings are what kind of are, now are popping this into my mind that I think I've seen these. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's a very, you know, uh, the tabla is a very rich instrument uh, in that it, it, there's a very thorough history of repertoire uh, when it comes to tabla or tabla music. Um, there are compositions that are set and are passed down from teacher to pupil and so on and so forth generationally that are almost, uh, they're coveted, they're almost secretive. You don't want to let people find out what the compositions are. So it's an oral tradition that's passed on from generation to generation. Um, And the way you learn to play the instrument is you truly submit to your teacher who is your guru, Uh and they... um, they essentially teach you all that they know, and they nurture you as long as you're willing to accept the knowledge. <laughs> right. And, well, who taught uh, you? So my my guru, uh, Shashanka Bakshi, was uh, my first tabla teacher, and I learned from him for know, 15, 20 years. And, wow. Um, at that point, I also learned from uh, Arup Chattopadhyay and some other teachers that essentially were kind of like finishing school-type touches uh, to my to my playing, and you know I consider myself a lifelong student. That sounds um, as extensive as going to medical school to learn all of this. Yeah, it almost yeah, seems, yeah, yeah, a little bit less pressure. Yeah, sure, yeah. exactly. Well, my mom gave me quite a bit of pressure, but to practice. But, yeah. Now you also, oh, yeah. I found out you you have a you have a CD. 
Oh, yes, two? I have a couple CDs. How yeah. can how can they find? Are you like on Spotify or anything? That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't even know if I'm on Spotify. I should check. There's yeah, so many you should. Um, right. I have CDs. I think you know they might be available on Amazon, but uh, you know I haven't really looked into it in a while. They I just search that, for your name. Yeah, they can search for oh, my name and, okay. and find them. Um, the the uh, you know I took a I took kind of a hiatus from the performing arts life after I got into medical school. So sure. I would still do gigs and concerts when I could. Um, but it became much more difficult after medical school. Uh, but during vacations and uh, even recently, for for example, for Monument Health, the talent show, um, I try to I try to still play and I try to be in practice and meet people. I just like to meet artists and different types of from different backgrounds. I think it's I think it's a great form of education. Well, I'll have to introduce you to a lot of people around here then, because we have a ton of them. That's and great. I just told one guy out there he should incorporate this, what you do right now. It would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Dr. Pial yeah. Hope, um, a general surgeon. You specialize in metabolic and bariatric surgery. Um, glad you're here at Monument Health. Thank you for coming in and talking. And uh, get on Amazon and find his CDs, too, All right, because <laughs> I'm going to go search now because I want to hear it. Yeah. Thank <laughs> so, you so much. You bet. Thanks for coming in and talk, doctor. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Haddon, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry. 